Hey friend, thank you so much for being here with me on the Infertility in Me pod. If you could do me a quick favor, fill out the survey that is linked with today's show notes. It is a yearly survey that allows me to create better podcast episodes, that allows me to get better as a podcast, and to also bring you the kinds of guests that you most desire. If you could do me the honor, friend, of filling out the survey so that I may create a better podcast experience for you with each episode. You know that it's all about the healing together here on Infertility and Me. So I would like your input and it would mean the absolute world and it would mean that you can have input on future episodes going into the new year. Thank you, friends, so much for doing the survey. It shouldn't take more than five to 10 minutes long at the very most. Very, very short, very quick and to the point. You guys know I don't like bullcrapping around, so it's very straight to the point. Give me your feedback and we will go from there. Thank you, friend. Have you been searching for a community that gets it? Join me, your host, Monique, as we get real about the emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual effects infertility has on its victim. Let's connect and heal together. I am one in eight, too. Hey, friend. Thank you so much for tuning in to Infertility and Me Podcast. Thank you so much for letting me be a part of your day and allowing me into your world. Today's guest is a fellow podcaster named Jessica Thornton. Jessica and I connected like early summer on Instagram when she first started her podcast and it's called The Pineapple Podcast. So appropriate. I love it. You guys make sure that you check out her podcast as well. You can find her on Instagram at the underscore pineapple podcast. Follow, engage, DM, be a guest and connect with Jessica. And if you're looking for a prenatal DHA or COQ10 or a fiber supplement, you can check out Natalist. I have Natalist's information in today's show notes and every other episode probably for the last four to six months. I love Natalist. I love all of their products. They are plastic neutral now. They have lubricant, which is sperm friendly and easy to use, very similar to natural fluids, and it is safe to use when you are going through your treatment cycles. Love Natalist and everything that they're doing there. It is woman-owned and run, and you can check out their products on their website, and I have links in the show notes for you to do so, but we'll be back in just a moment with Jessica. All right, so we're back, guys, with Jessica Thornton. She is on the West Coast of the U.S. Shout out to Callie. I have family over there. Thank you, Jessica, girl, for coming on and just letting us into your world, dear, and, and giving us some insight about what you've been through so far and what you're going through now. Yeah, I'm super happy to be here and to to share my story. Um, yeah, for me to start. Husband? Yeah, so my husband Shane mm-hmm. and um, we started. Well, so he is a uh, area manager for Five Guys Burgers and Fries, and then I'm a pediatric occupational therapist. So I wonderful kind of my life, yeah. which is kind of ironic that it's 
so hard to have one. Mm -hmm. Um, But so we met in 2014. I was living with a girlfriend and then he was living with his cousin and my girlfriend and his cousin met and started dating and then they introduced us. So now they're married and we're married. So my now cousin is one of my like best friends. Yeah, I love that. That is so freaking cute. And shout yeah. out to pediatric occupational therapists everywhere because Omar Jr. had one for the first two years of life being born so early. Yeah. So occupational therapists now have a special place in my heart besides his doctors Aww. and nurses. <laughs> yeah. And then shout okay. out to in the carryout business because we're in the carryout business too. So that's okay. awesome. We have a lot in common. I didn't know that. Cool. Yeah. So we got married in 2018, in September Mm -hmm. of 2018, Mm -hmm. and we always knew that we wanted kids. I'm one of four and he's one of three and all of our siblings have children. Well, actually my younger brother doesn't, but my older sisters do, his two brothers do. And so we just kind of always knew that we wanted kids Mm -hmm. and no one's ever struggled. Our parents never struggled. So we never thought that that was going to be hard. And so we had the conversation, maybe I remember we were at like a brewery kind of right before we got married. We got married in September of 2018 and we were just kind of talking about it of like, okay, when, like, when would you want to start trying? And we kind of decided on a year into being married, Mm -hmm. but me being just like eager to be a mom, Mm -hmm. I ended up going off of birth control in April of 2019. So a little bit early. Um, just to, I've never really done well with birth control. I'm not a big fan of it. It doesn't really sit well with my body. So I was happy to kind of get that out. And then if, if we, if we got pregnant sooner than a year, like we were fine with that. So in April of 2019, I took out, I had that like arm implant. The IUD. I got, um, it's called the Nexplanon. Okay. So it's like this little, it almost looks like a match and it sits Mm -hmm. just like right underneath the skin in your arm. And So I got that out and then we started trying and I had a really bad reaction to getting off of birth control. So I almost, I never went and talked to anybody, but I feel like I almost went into like a depression a little bit from like that come down of the hormones and my anxiety was horrible. I ended up having to pull back a little bit at work. I just like couldn't handle day-to-day life. I didn't want to do anything like the idea of driving to work was like super overwhelming. And so I realized I needed some kind of help. Mm -hmm. So that's when I started going to acupuncture, kind of had that support start. And so that helped level off my hormones, I would say, and kind of got me feeling okay. And then she was also there supporting while we were trying. So then that's when we kind of started trying naturally. And at first I was trying to be like that easy breezy kind of person of Mm -hmm. let's just see like we're not going to, I'm not going to test. I'm not going to do anything. Um, but that didn't last very long. (laughs) I'm definitely a control person. And I just, because my, I guess I didn't mention this when I did come off birth control, my periods were so weird. Mm -hmm. Um, which I think was part of like that hormone balancing thing. So yeah. Yeah. And I was then worried maybe there was an issue because I was having like 20 day cycles. And then I had like a 39 day cycle and then I'd have like a 25 day cycle. So it just never was really consistent, which kind of worried me too. I also went to acupuncture to try to help regulate my periods, um, which, which it did. So I would, I would say maybe in like July, I started getting kind of regular 
periods. And so that's when I started testing for ovulation. Mm -hmm. So I would, you know, start at the beginning of the month, almost like right after my period ended. And I take those ovulation tests every day. And the ones that I had, like had this app where you could take a picture of the ovulation test and it would tell you like, if it was positive or if it wasn't positive Mm -hmm. or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And so I was like a freak about this and it overtook like my life. I bought the Ava bracelet. I literally did everything because everybody else that I'd known maybe took five months to get pregnant. Right. And, and then by then it was like, I mean, we were pretty actively trying by then. And so I was just starting to like kind of freak out a little bit. So I was doing everything to, to try to make it work and to try to get pregnant. And every month it was just like this negative and it was so hard. Everybody around me was starting, was had kids or was in the process of like getting pregnant. And so it just seemed like everybody around me was, was there and it wasn't happening for us. Yeah. Feeling like that, you know, like that left behind syndrome. I, I call it sometimes when, when, you know, family members, friends, coworkers, acquaintances that you talk to, you know, you just, you just feel left behind. I, I totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you guys, what point, how long did you continue to try for before you sought the help? Yeah. So we, so my last straw was um, like December. Okay. So I, I mean, I did like the, oh, okay. If we get pregnant this month, then it'll be around this day. And then this is how we can tell our family. Mm -hmm. And I did that whole thing like every month. Mm -hmm. And so in December, I was supposed to find out I'm pregnant on Christmas. Mm -hmm. And so Christmas came and I got my period. And three people in between my husband's family and my family uh, announced they were pregnant. And it was like, I was sitting, I remember I was at Christmas, like brunch at my grandma's, just like trying not to cry. (laughs) And like people around me were like, it'll happen. Like, don't worry about it. And I just had this feeling like something, if it was going to happen, it should have happened by now. Like, I know for a fact that we were timing things correctly. Like it should have it should have happened. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so my husband seeing that was like, okay, what do I need to do? Like, what do I need to say yes to? What do we need to do? Cause I can't see you this like angry and sad every month. It's, mm-hmm. it's like taking a toll on me. So I said, okay, I think I need to go to my doctor and I need to reach out and do some testing. And I need you to do like a, a semen analysis. I never really thought that he would be the issue like that. Hit, like, it would pertain to his body. But my sister is the one who was like, you know what? Like your stuff seems to be working fine. Like you're ovulating, your periods are regular. Like what if it is Shane? So I was like, okay. So I got him to say yes to that. And I did all the tests and all mine came back normal. I was really thankful that my doctor, um, and she was actually a new doctor. So I was surprised that she said yes to doing testing. So it was before a year. It was about nine months after, um, we started trying and usually they say you have to be trying for a year, but she said we could do like the blood tests and that kind of stuff. So I was really thankful for that and really grateful. Um, so that eased my mind a bit of, okay. Cause I always, I was like thinking it was maybe my body that was having a problem. Um, so we did mine, it all looked good. And then he did a semen analysis and we got the results back and I was at work and he texted me and was just like, I got, I I got the results and it's not good. And I said, okay, what does that mean? 
And he said he had on the result, it said um, less than 2.5 million sperm count. And so for anybody listening who doesn't know, the average and below, like what they would consider below average is less than 15 million. So the fact that it said 2.5 million was like really, really shocking. And so I ended up leaving work because I started kind of like freaking out. Mm -hmm. My mind like raced to all these possibilities of what, what, what does that mean now? Um, And so I went home and we kind of talked about it and we started just Googling everything. Um, And what was weird about this test result was, so it had the count, but it didn't show, it said um, NTD for morphology and for motility. So like, and we Googled what that meant and we were like, okay, not like test not done. And so we thought that was weird. Like, why didn't they do those tests? Is it just not routine or what? And nobody at our uh, like practice reached out and gave us any interpretation of this result. So we were kind of left to determine what that meant. And um, luckily my cousin, she had gone through IVF about a year before um, Mm. for a little bit different reason but they went through it. So I kind of had her there to start just kind of talking to a little bit. Um, and so she actually is the one who gave me the information for her fertility clinic. Gotcha. So because no one reached out from our just general doctors, I was like, you know, I'm going to reach out to this doctor and just see if we can talk to them. And, and I talked to my acupuncturist and she was like, yeah, I highly recommend this place. Like they're amazing. I would just go have like a consultation with them and see what they say. Cause we pretty much knew right there that we would need some kind of intervention. Like it wasn't going to happen naturally for us. So in, I think it was February, we went and talked to this doctor. And in that meeting, we kind of went through our results and she was like, huh, that's kind of weird that like, it doesn't say anything else for the motility and morphology, but okay. uh, I'll definitely want you to, to redo, to get another one. And she gave us a contact at our um, like medical group for a fertility urologist. So kind of like a specialist. So at, in that meeting, and this is the first time a sperm donor was brought up, but she was like, you know, like there's so many options at this point. Cause we just don't have all the information. So we could do like, there was a possibility we could do IUI. We could do, um, you might, you might think of using a sperm donor and then we do an IUI with that, or maybe we do IVF. And when she said sperm donor, we both looked at each other and we're like, what? Like that wasn't even in the thought process for us. 100 so quickly. Yeah. Mm. It felt very uh, like drastic and dramatic. Mm -hmm. And so we left that meeting, like feeling like, okay, we have a a next step. So we were thinking, okay, we'll probably just have to do IVF. Mm -hmm. And now thinking back, like, it's sad to say that IVF like doesn't even seem like the biggest part of our story. (laughs) Um, And I'll get to why, but that now is, as big a deal of of it as it is, like it, it doesn't seem like as major. Mm -hmm. So, um, so we go and he makes an appointment with this next, um, with the fertility urologist. And he also wants him to do another, uh, semen analysis. And so I think we had to wait, like it was maybe three weeks we had to wait. Mm -hmm. Um, and so he goes and he does that. And then again, we're just kind of waiting for results And I was sitting in the Whole Foods parking lot about to go in and get, um, I will never forget that it was Friday the 13th of March and I was sitting in Whole Foods and he called me and I could just tell like the moment, um, 
the moment I answered the phone that something was, was up. And so he said, I just met with the doctor. He went over the results. I have no sperm. None. So azospermia is a diagnosis. Yeah. So azospermia, exactly. And so I just like instantly started crying because it's like, I didn't even know that existed. Yeah. I didn't even know that was like a thing. Mm-hmm. And that was even a possibility. Um, and then your mind starts racing, like just, okay. So, so a donor is like our, our reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I called my mom and I talked to my mom and I was supposed to go mm-hmm. to my acupuncture appointment and I called my acupuncturist and I was crying on the phone to her and she's like, don't come in, just go home, be with your husband. Like it's okay. Mm-hmm. And this was, so we had COVID shut down September, September, March 17th. So this was the Friday before everything shut down. Okay. Um, Okay. And so things were already, schools were already starting to talk about shutting down and that kind of happened. So the world was already kind of weird. Mm -hmm. And so I just like went home and we just kind of cried and were really sad. And it took us a couple of days to kind of figure out what, Mm -hmm. what, what Mm -hmm. we're going to do. So did they test again just to double check? Were, were there any more testing after that just to kind of confirm like this is really it because the, he had the two he had it they detected sperm the first clinic that you guys were at so they were done at the same place and so he asked his okay. this doctor that and he said so why was there like a less than and I should say on this second one it said um for all three places it yeah. said um test not done on this second result mm-hmm. so it had almost gone it had gone down And so we asked that, we're like, why are the results different? And he said, it was the lab, something with the lab, just they recorded it a different way. So that made me kind of frustrated because we need to be more specific when we're dealing with this kind of a thing. Okay. Like, yeah, we should have gotten some type of interpretation or, or a doctor should have reached out and said, Hey, here's the result. This is what it means. Cause we have no clue what that means. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause it just gives you the average, like what is normal and it's definitely right. not normal. So that should have been like a red flag for them to reach out to us. Yeah. Um, totally yeah. So I guess it's just how the labs, and then yeah. that is, I still kind of look back and I'm like, there should be some type of like, uh, guideline consistent. when there's really low yeah. sperm counts or, you know, the, the azospermia is present. Yeah. There definitely yeah. should be. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it was very confusing to get mm-hmm. those results back. I believe it. Um, yeah. And so, so then on, so when we got that result, we kind of knew, okay, a donor is probably whether or not we use it or not, we're probably going to, going to need one. Um, I had read, on an IVF group on Facebook. Um, cause I posted, I actually posted like right away to that, okay. just saying like, help, this is the diagnosis we just got. Has anybody had, um, like similar things mm-hmm. and, and what, what did your, what did that look like for you? Yeah. And so I actually got a lot of people who reached out and said, we had that, we did, um, this one surgery that I'll explain what that is, but we did the surgery and now we have a baby or we had that and we used a donor and now we have a baby. So that felt good to like, okay, something, a baby will come out of this yeah, in one way or the other, but it just might be through a donor or through finding sperm in chain. Yeah. Um, 
But what one person did in that is they said that they got a donor as a backup. And Mm -hmm. so when they went through IVF, they had some of their husband's sperm and they had some of donor sperm and they ended up just doing it all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so I liked that idea because then potentially we still go through one round of IVF. um, But if like my husband's sperm don't work well, then the donor sperm maybe does. And we still have embryos left. Yeah. So that felt like a good, a good kind of, um, like reassurance. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Assurance to have, to have embryos. So that kind of started the search for a donor. Mm-hmm. Um, and at this point I wasn't working both of, I am actually an, uh, a bar three instructor as well. So okay. both my jobs are, were not happening. So I was home all day. So I went on and I started looking and I asked Shane if he wanted to be involved. And he said like, you know, I trust you when it gets closer. I want to be involved, but there's so many to look at that. Why don't you like look and then narrow it down? Yeah. So I started looking and, and we, um, we kind of talked about, okay, well, how do we even start this process? Because it's so broad. So like, do you start just making, like finding someone that looks like you, do we start Like, what do we do? So we had to kind of figure out what the important criteria were for us. Um, And initially, one of the things that was really hard for me was I had, he has blue eyes and I have brown eyes. And I just kind of always was like, oh, we could have like these little blue eyed, brown haired kids. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why that's one thing that's just like stuck in my head. And that was like this like heartbreaking thing of like, our kids won't have that, which is so not true. And it doesn't even matter, but it was like this, like little thing I was holding on to. And so I said, so when we started the filtering process, I said, well, why don't we get like a general coloring of you? So like kind of fairer skin, blue eyes, brownish hair, kind of the same build, just because like, I don't want to be hiding the fact that if we use a donor, like our child was conceived that way, but I also don't want it to be so obvious that like, they don't feel, they feel like they're, they're just apart. like, yeah. 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 Like yeah. I think I heard somewhere, um, someone said they like not blend in, but they, um, I kind of where these, you maybe it is blend. An adopted child and you have to go through. The yeah. Whole- or like it's their yeah. story to tell. So I don't want it. Like I want them to be able to feel like they have power over, over it, not just like looking and knowing. Um, and so we kind of, that's how we started. I started the search. Um, and it's like, I was actually talking to my Claire and it's just a surreal process. It is a weird thing to be like shopping for the genetic of your child. Um, yeah, it's a, it's weird. I know it has Um, to be. Yeah. And luckily I was very supported by our family. We told our family, we've been really open from the very beginning. Um, so they'll actually come into play on how we picked our donor, but, um, that was really nice. So knowing that I was able to like talk to my sisters, I'm really close with my sisters and my mom. So I was kind of talking to them through the whole thing. And like, what do you guys feel like is, is most important. And, and we all kind of agreed, like, um, medical history is super important. Um, like that's probably number one. Mm -hmm. We want our kids to be healthy and to have 
like healthy genetics. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I started the search and there were four different cryobanks that I used. And so I kind of just kind of went through them all and I narrowed it down. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them, it's kind of funny for people don't, most people probably haven't gone on a cryobank website, mm-hmm. but you can like see pictures. Some of them have adult pictures. Some of them have baby pictures only. You can hear them being interviewed, which is really kind of cool. Um, so we actually can hear and listen to our donor's voice. Um, and so I just kind of narrowed it down to four. Well, actually, sorry, let me back up. I narrowed it down to maybe seven and that's when my husband got involved. And so we went through and he was kind of like, I don't know, like this one, I just don't have like a feeling about, or like this one I have a feeling about. And so then together we narrowed it down to four and we just felt like our, our families, again, were really close to our families, like, especially my sisters and my mom. And I just wanted them to be a part of it. Um, I wanted to that I wanted them to be part of the process because this is something that potentially if we use the donor, it's going to be a part of our life forever. Like our, now our infertility is not going to end when I'm pregnant. Um, if we use the donor, like this is something that as our children or child develops and gets older, they're going to have feelings about it. And it's just going to be kind of a forever thing for us. So I really wanted them to be involved in it to kind of understand and have that understanding of what it was like, Mm -hmm. so that when they're around our family, and when they're around our kids, like they were there for it, and they get it. So I ended up making a PowerPoint Mm -hmm. of the four donors and and it was zoom at that time. No one was seeing each other. Mm -hmm. So I got on zoom with my sisters and my mom and I like did like a slideshow. And so I had like things we wanted. And then I went through each donor and I put in like the pictures of them and just their medical history and everything. And so we went through all of them and actually unanimously, we all liked the same one. Mm -hmm. That's very special. Yeah, it was, it was kind of like special. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah, it's just, again, it's like this surreal thing, like Shane's sitting next to me and we're going through talking about qualities and descriptions of like these men who their genetics is going to create potentially our child. Um, So that was a very interesting thing, but, but once we picked it, we both, there was something so I actually was listening. I don't know if you know Pursuing Fatherhood on Instagram. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he, he, I've like messaged him back and forth when kind of we found out. Mm-hmm. And um, he's been on a few podcasts and I've listened to his episodes on these different podcasts. And so he just said a few things that I kind of had in the back of my head when choosing. Mm-hmm. He was like, you know, initially you think you want just looks. Mm-hmm. And that's true. Initially you're like, I want somebody to look like my husband. But then it's like, that's not really what matters. It's it's so much more than that. You know, you, you want qualities that are similar so that you might have things in common. Um, so he mentioned like him and his wife are really into sports Mm -hmm. and golf is a huge part of my husband's life. And so we would love for there to be a possibility that our kids are also semi-athletic and can enjoy that with, with him. Mm -hmm. So, um, this donor actually in his thing, he said he, he, uh, plays golf and he plays baseball, played golf and plays baseball and all these things. He likes country music, just like these things that we that love. Chills. Oh my God. Yeah. Just, and it's not anything to do with looks. It's just, it's like that personality, the deeper, which the is, deeper thing. Yeah, yeah. Which are yeah. things that we 
would love to connect with our children on like things that we value. And so that was almost the bigger picture along with like the medical, he ended up just by, um, like the description, he does Mm -hmm. kind of look like my husband, but Mm -hmm. that was just kind of a a later thing that just happened. Um, it was these other things that made us feel he's and in it. He said, I'm really close with my family. And that was a huge thing Mm -hmm. because we're both really close with our families. So just kind of things like that made us feel like confident about our choice. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right though. When I think about it and you know, you do like hypothetical situations in your mind and you're like, well, no, I don't want somebody who's like really good with academia you know, and you just go below, go below the surface level. Yeah. That is so freaking interesting though. Like I have this whole vision of like you and your husband sitting at the table and just looking through it and it must be really, really emotional. Like, did you guys have to step away? I'm, I'm sure you did. You had moments where you had to like step away, like, oh my gosh, are we really doing this? Yeah, it was definitely. Um, I would say it probably took maybe like three weeks to do the whole thing to go. And it's funny because I think everybody kind of has a different process. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've heard stories where people will choose in like two days, they'll Mm -hmm. choose their donor, like they'll just know and they'll pick it or it'll take months and months. Um, And so for us, it took probably like three-ish weeks. And I think that that was because, I don't know why it took that long. I was definitely more, um, involved in it and maybe because I had nothing else to do. So I was just sitting there, like had TV on and was just kind of like looking at things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a very like visual person. Okay. So I think I was able to kind of envision a little bit like what that looked like for these different people that I was reading about. Um, and so I'm pretty decisive too. Mm-hmm. So when I didn't have a gut feeling, I was like, okay, no, yeah. like I'm just going to yeah. move them no. off the list. To the yeah. Mo- yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so once we, once we picked our donor, um, and actually it's funny that you say about our process because, um, it, again, it's this weird thing, but I was looking at one and, um, the facilities will give like a description mm-hmm. of the, of what their like perceptions of this person are. And so, okay. um, this like one guy or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Like, um, like for ours, they said, oh, he's like a Teddy, kind of like, he's like the, office teddy bear he comes in he says hi to everybody um but this one guy they said he he looks like a model he resembles chris hemsworth and i was like shane he's probably so handsome (laughs) (laughs) and he and shane's like you know you're not sleeping with him right like you don't get to meet him you don't get any moment i'm like i know i'm just saying but he's very handsome (laughs) he's like i don't look like chris hemsworth like no (laughs) but that was kind of funny Yeah. So, so there were, I had to make that process lighthearted and maybe that's why it was a little bit easier. Um, my husband is a big jokester. Like he, okay. I was going to ask you sometimes. Yeah. yeah, He's like, he thinks he's hilarious. And so we try to like keep things lighthearted. And I knew if I didn't, I would probably like spiral and it would be meltdown central. Yeah. Yeah. It would be really hard. So we tried to just keep it kind of more lighthearted. Um, and we know it's, it's obviously this big thing. Like it's definitely a major thing, but for us, we just, we had to, we had to had laugh do what you a had to bit. Do. Yeah. Cause you, yeah. I mean, you know, like you said, everybody has their way of coping and their mm-hmm. coping me- mechanisms and stuff, you know, and I've talked to a lot of other fertility friends, male or female that said they use comedy 
some say that were like myself who like use physical activity to like drive themselves. Some people become more of a workaholic. Like that was my husband. Like, even though he didn't have the diagnosis, he just be like, he just was working so hard, like just going through the motion. So I, yeah, I totally, totally get it. And so have you guys found your match or are you still looking? Yeah. So we found the donor and I ended up, we ordered, we ordered the sperm, which is such a funny mm-hmm. thing to say. Um, and so you just kind of keep it in their bank, at least the place we did. So it was on ice. And so then we had to figure out what we were going to do. So with the diagnosis of azuspermia, there's kind of a few options. So there's actually two reasons why that could happen. And so his, his doctor did, um, cause I've had people ask me like, do they know why this happened? Yeah. So we know a little bit why it happened. Um, they had him do a test for his FSH and his testosterone. Mm. So based on those results, they can kind of tell, okay, is it obstructive where there are the, your body's making sperm, but they're just not getting out. Okay. Or is there a production issue where they're just not being produced? And so his testosterone was normal, Mm -hmm. but his FSH was high, which Mm -hmm. told his doctor that he's not producing. Mm -hmm. So you can't just like do like go in and try to find a blockage and remove it. And then you're good. Um, but there is something called a micro surgery. I don't know if you've ever heard of never heard of that one. I have one person in my life that I know personally who has the same diagnosis and his mm. was a genetic, it's a genetic disorder, um, okay. something he was born with. And so that contributed to his uh, azuspermia, but he has two brothers, both with multiple children, like mm. devastating. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, it's wild. So tell me about this procedure, this, 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 this yeah. So it's micro testicular okay. uh, extraction of sperm or something like that. I'll look it up. Yes. Yeah. So what it is, is basically they go into the testicle and they like aspirate sperm out of it. And so there's like a few different ways that they can do this. Mm-hmm. They can like open up the testicle. They can use like a needle to aspirate. And so the, his doctor's telling him this and if you've listened, if anybody's listened to like me talk on my podcast, my husband is the worst with medical things. Mm -hmm. He faints, he passes, like he's the worst. And so he started like turning white as his his doctor's telling him this. Mm -hmm. And his doctor's like, even me just talking about it. He's like, yes. Like you're talking about like opening up my balls. So, Mm -hmm. so this would be like a big thing for my husband to do. And so we even had the conversation of like, like, I almost felt guilty asking him to do that. Like, I know how hard that kind of stuff is for you. And so like, do you even want to do this? And, and he, the whole time was like, yes. Like, I feel like if it's an option, like we should try the option. We don't want to look back and be like, what if, yeah, what if we could have done it? So that was our plan that we were going to do that surgery. Hopefully, I mean, it's a 50, 50 chance they find Mm -hmm. sperm. Hopefully Mm -hmm. we find sperm. And then we have our donor as a backup. Okay. So there actually is a like very highly regarded, um, urologist in San Francisco. So not Mm -hmm. far from us, um, who does these surgeries. So I reached out to his office and he was actually referred to by our uh, fertility doctor as well. She, she kind of said, okay, why don't you guys, if you're, if you're wanting to do that, I would say, talk to the urologist, figure that whole thing out. You might've to get scheduled with him. And then once that's all scheduled, then come back to us and we'll figure out like your timeline. And so I talked to his office and I talked to, I think it was like the patient coordinator or somebody there. Yeah. And I was on the phone with her for a while and it, she was very helpful, but through that conversation, it kind of was putting a little bit more doubt in my head about the mm-hmm. surgery. 
So it's not a surprise that IVF is really expensive. And this would have added another probably fifteen dollars to $18,000 to our bill. So um, with no guarantee, no with, with no guarantee that they would find anything. So knowing that it would be also extra time, so we'd have to wait longer, time, money, and then putting him through this potentially very painful surgery that has no guarantee just really made me kind of second guess it. And um, so the same day that I had that call with, with this office, we were scheduled to talk to a therapist about um, using a donor. So at our clinic, anytime you're even possibly using a donor, sperm donor, egg donor, or embryo donation, they want you to talk to a psychologist just to kind of understand what that means. That's wonderful. Which I appreciate. I think that is a good idea. There should probably be more counseling involved in, in using a donor. Um, and so I came in from the conversation with the urologist and we almost, we had like 20 minutes and then Mm -hmm. we were talking to this woman. So I kind of went through my conversation with the urologist with my husband and then we jumped on the call. And during the call with the therapist is when we actually kind of made the decision to just move forward with the donor and not go down that surgery path. Um, and people have asked me like, how did you decide that? Cause I feel like that's a big decision. Um, you're letting go of your husband's genetics. And I said, yeah, it is a big decision. That's true. But we had to ask ourselves, okay, if we go down this path of the surgery of tons of money, will we, and we don't get anything from it. Mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. feel better or worse than if we just move forward with a donor. Or if we do go through it and we do, it does work out, like how will we feel? Mm-hmm. And so we decided that if we went through it all and we didn't get, and we didn't find sperm, like we would probably feel worse and it would be harder than moving forward with a donor. We both really believe that it's not only genetics that create a family for us, it just felt, I said to him, I said, I just have like this and I trust my gut a lot. And I just had like this feeling. I was like, you know what? I just feel like this is what we're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so we, and so that's kind of when we decided, um, maybe we're just quick, quick decision makers. (laughs) We decided on our sperm donor quick. We decided to use it, use a sperm donor kind of quick. Um, but once we, once we kind of decided, I think it felt better for us. Like we were in this limbo, we knew what we were going to do. We could then start moving forward. We could then kind of wrap our heads around, okay, what does our family look like? Um, and so, yeah, so, so we, we decided to, to use a donor Yeah. and that was in, I want to say maybe May of this year. Okay. So only not too long ago. Um, and once we decided to use the donor and we told our, uh, our fertility doctor that we were doing that, it was kind of like, okay, like mm-hmm. let's get, let's get going. Let's get yeah, yeah. yeah. And so one of the questions that she had for us was, okay, so do you want to do IVF or do you want to do an IUI? And because both then are an option for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we decided on IVF because IUI, I think our doctor gave us, it's like an 8% chance of working or something mm-hmm. like the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just don't know how many, we would need to do. And then we ideally would like more than one child. So then, okay, okay, then really how many IUIs is it going to take? And the fact that we're using a donor, we just don't know how much 
sperm is available. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. in in five years, if we want another kid, is are we, they going to be able to be like fully genetic siblings? And that was something else that felt important to us is because like we wanted our children because they're already going to be different than their cousins. They're going to be different than probably a lot of their friends. Um, we wanted them to have each other if we hopefully have more than yeah, one child. Yeah, yeah. So um, we were trying whatever we could to have our children be a hundred percent siblings mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, totally so that they could feel like really connected each to other. each other and have, sure. yeah. Yeah. Um, and they'll and have so all IVF of your is, DNA too. So like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so IVF is just kind of, I guess, a better guarantee that yeah. that all can happen. Um, so yeah. So in July I started IVF um, and we went through the whole STEM process, which wasn't horrible. Um, I reacted, I think pretty normally. Um, we ended up getting 29 eggs and I believe 26 or 25 were mature. And then we got from that, we got eight blast, eight blastocysts at the end of the week. Um, and our clinic only does frozen, mm-hmm. uh, frozen transfers. So they, and the genetic testing is part of like your package that you pay for. Okay. So they froze them all and they sent them off. And then we ended up with um, five genetically normal embryos and then one, or sorry, Yes. And then one that is like inconsistent. So it's there to transfer, but it, they just don't know if it didn't come back either way. Wow. That's a lot, Jessica. Yeah. That's a lot. And just not even a year mm-hmm. since you got the initial diagnosis. Yeah. And I actually just had a transfer this past Friday. So I'm in right, my two week right. wait. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So how's that going? How's it going? It's good. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, it's good. It's definitely, I mean, I feel normal, which I don't really know if I should read into that or not. <laughs> like, it's just, it's such a mind like game, yeah, you is. know, you read into every feeling, but then it's like, oh, I don't really have any feelings. Like, is that a good or bad thing? So yeah. So we'll ne- know in the next week or so if it oh worked. Gosh, I got um, all the sticky, but does all the fingers crossed, my toes crossed. Thank you. I know. It's a- crossed, like all my curls <laughs> crossed for you guys, because Oh my gosh. I just feel like we all deserve it. You know, all deserve it. It's so unfair when it doesn't happen for some of our, you know, fertility friends and such. So there's been a lot of things happening. So we might be okay. We might be okay, but that's good that you're like really at peace and, and, and just taking it one day at a time. I was like that with my, with the big fat positive I had with Omar Jr. So I'm telling you, it's a good thing that you're at peace because then, you know, whatever happens, whatever, if the, if, if the little baby chooses to stick around or not, you can move forward. And uh, mm-hmm. it sounds like you guys are really in sync with each other. You and your Yeah. Husband. That's one thing I will say. Here. Yeah. I will say that we've, we've had conversations where we both agree like this has kind of made us stronger. I mean, we've, mm-hmm. we just had our, our two year wedding anniversary. And so a lot of people don't have the conversations we've had to have mm-hmm. in so early. two years, let alone in maybe five or 10 years of, mm-hmm. are, are you okay with not having a genetically, a genetic child, like is a conversation we've had. And um, so I think it's definitely helped us. And I have a lot of hope for for our family in the future, because we're going to have a relationship with our kids, unlike a lot of other people yeah. and openness, yeah. very different than a lot of other people. That's a good point you made. That's a really good point you made, especially about the openness with your children and stuff, because I plan on 
telling Omar how he was conceived, you know, and if we have another mm-hmm. one, uh, you know, in the next couple of years or something like that. So, yeah, I definitely think it makes us different in a, in a mm-hmm. positive way, whether you walk away with a bundle or not, you know. So if there's anybody out there in your position, what's one or two things you would offer them as far as advice or things to look out for or emotions to deal with or how they can help with their spouse coming to terms with the diagnosis too? Yeah. So before finding anything out, I always had this inkling in the back of my head that something was up. And so I would say, trust your gut. If you have, it doesn't hurt to do a test. It doesn't hurt to find out more information. Um, I really think that information is power. And so if, if you feel like something's up, like ask for, ask for a test. Um, And especially for a man, uh, maybe doing the men's test first. It's so easy. It's not invasive. Um, I highly recommend just learning information mm-hmm. about that because people don't talk about male factor infertility and it's mm-hmm. uh, one in three is male factor. I think it's a third, a third of infertility is from male factor. I think they say it's like a third male factor, a third woman and a third unexplained. That's, yeah. Yeah. I did read that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy. And then During the process, I have never been one to take it one step at a time and be like present. I'm always planning. I'm always looking to the future and you can't do that in this process. And so I think, and it sounds kind of cliche, but really just taking it one step at a time Mm -hmm. and it almost forces you to do that. And it's okay to not plan. Um, You can't plan. Um, So kind of honoring that and just kind of being in the moment I think is really important. And then also finding supports. I actually, so I started my podcast and I kind of opened up to my greater world um, during like the National Infertility Awareness Week in April. And that was one of the best things I've done because I felt like I was almost living this lie beforehand where people be like, how are you? And we had just found out this information and I was like, oh, I'm good. But really I was not. I was not good at all. I was sad and I was worried and I had all these feelings. And, um, so talking about it and opening up, I've had so many people reach out to me just like personally that I know that I had no clue went through infertility that Mm -hmm. now are people to talk to. Um, the like greater infertility community has been really helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, because super personally, I don't have anybody who's really gone through this. Um, my cousin did, like I said, but there's was kind of known the whole time. So the emotion, she even admits, she's like, I don't really have that big emotional piece like you do. Um, And so it just makes you feel kind of alone. Like nobody really gets it. So talking to people I think is really important. And actually talking to people who don't get it, I think is really important. Because they're just going to listen. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had Mm -hmm. my friends and my family be like, thank you for sharing. Like I'm learning so much from you. And Mm -hmm. like, I think they they have an appreciation for what we're going through. Mm-hmm. So on a bad day, they have some, some like empathy and they kind of, they yeah. give me a little bit. Yeah. They give you that space. They know, well, you see, because you opened up, they know how to love you better. You know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And like my sister has said, like, I know, cause she has, she had, has three kids and she had twins naturally. And she's like, wow. and she, the way she words things now, I can tell her different. She's like, I know that, I don't know what you're going through, but, and then she gives me like a piece of motherly advice, which I appreciate, but I, I appreciate it the way she worded it mm-hmm. because she acknowledged that she doesn't really get it. 
Yeah. Um, so I think opening up to people has been probably number one. It's, it's really free yeah. and liberating, you know, yeah. you be your free spirit itself. So if you were standing face to face with infertility right now, what would you say? Screw you. <laughs> yes, I might even, I you. might even name the episode that that is. Yes. I love it. Yes. Yeah. Screw you. And then also maybe like screw you dot, 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 but thanks, because I feel like I'm a different person now. I have a lot more empathy for for people. I see things in a very different way. Um, Like when I look at people around me who maybe don't have kids, my mind doesn't go to like, oh, when, like, when are they having kids? Mm -hmm. My mind goes to a place of like, I wonder what they're going through. It just makes me think about people differently. Yeah. yeah. So screw you, but, but thank you. Yes, that's the episode title, you guys. <laughs> Dear Infertility, screw you. That, that, that. Thanks. Okay. You heard it here first from Jess on the Infertility and Me podcast. Thank you, girl. You're the bomb.com for coming on today. Thank you. Yeah, I just loved chatting with you and getting to know you yeah, guys because I like new bits and you know, it's so hard to keep up with everybody on Instagram. So it's like, yeah, you get bits and pieces and you don't get the whole story. So this is amazing. And I love what you're doing on the podcast the pineapple thank podcast. you you guys you better freaking listen right now if you're not already subscribed and listen so yes. give us your social media handle and how we can search you on podcast platform yes so the podcast is the pineapple podcast and on instagram it's the underscore pineapple podcast and then i believe my personal instagram is on there but if not it's at j t h o r n n n I believe it's three ends. Jay I'll have it in the show notes. I'll put it in the show cool. notes for the memory. Yeah, get you but yeah, my, yeah. yeah, my personal one is private, but you can obviously reach out to me there. Um, but the but the podcast one is a good place if if it's something relating to infertility. Thank you, girl, so much for coming on. Thank you. Jessica. And you guys make sure that you go on the show notes so that you can get social with Jessica on social media and then listen and subscribe to her podcast, okay? Peace and blessings. Thank you, guys. Before you go, friend, please don't forget to fill out the podcast survey, which is located in today's show notes, so that you may tap and quickly fill it out. Shouldn't take more than five or eight minutes, 10 at the very longest. Thank you.